Welcome to Commons and Chronicles, the podcast where we talk about all the best creative commons and reusable open game license content. If you need resources for your creative writing, game design, or you just love lore, Commons and Chronicles is for you. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to Chronicles and Commons, or is it Commons and Chronicles? This is Klaatu, and in this episode I want to continue the Barsoom novel, or the Barsoom series overview. In this particular episode I'll be talking about the Yellow Martians. That means that this episode is basically sourced from exactly one place, which is the Warlords of Mars, which is the third book in the in the initial trilogy of the Barsoom stories. And uh, it truly is a, a traditional trilogy in the sense that the first book was kind of self-contained, and then people wanted more, so a second book came out, ended with a cliffhanger, making Warlords of Mars the exciting conclusion, essentially, to the second book. I don't exactly know how it worked, since these stories were all originally released in a magazine. Never really um, got to experience the whole magazine, uh, you know, initial release of a story through a magazine. That was something that I think happened pretty early in the 20th century, and I never quite got to experience a cliffhanger or, or even a, just a serial in, in magazine form where you had to wait for the next part. That would have been an interesting experience, I imagine. I mean, I've, I've gotten somewhat close to that with some of the Magic the Gathering stories that come out. It's, sometimes they kind of are connected, so you have to wait for the next one, sort of. Not really, though. So it would have been interesting to experience, I think, these stories in their original format. But certainly as a as a reader coming later to to the novels of Edgar Rice Burroughs, we have the initial book, Princess of Mars, and then the second book, and then the third book being tied together. In the third book, we're introduced to the Okar. O-K-A-R. Those are the Yellow Martians. They call themselves the Okar. And they live in the Okar region. The Okar region is, is called the Okar region because that's where the Okar people live. Specifically, it is the North Pole of Mars. They have it pretty good there. How they got there wasn't so good. Uh, the the er, early in the history, or or rather earlier in the history of of the planet, when start when when things started to kind of fall apart, the green Martians. Uh, started, they, they sort of, they, they, they were rising up from being sent, sort of a, a minority, I guess, to, to a, a real force of, of the Martian wasteland, or what was becoming the Martian wasteland. And the green hordes overran Barsoom, in the, in the words of, of the, of the warlords of Mars, and, uh, started driving some of the other dominant races from where they were living. And as I said, I think in the Green Martian episode, uh, the Green Martians 
currently live in sort of gutted out cities, abandoned cities, and I'm I'm still not sure whether those abandoned cities were in the traditional sense abandoned or whether they they are abandoned because the people who inhabited them were driven out. Either way, the Green Martians uh, are are to blame to for for driving the Yellow Martians away from the more temperate regions of Barsoom, uh, and they took refuge. The Yellow Martians took refuge uh, at the North Pole. Now. As I say, they they actually have it pretty good, and you might not think so, because if you go to the North Pole, you'd have to fly there. It's not that far, though, uh, to get from from the major centers of, of Red Martian society. You go up to Kaol, K-A-O-L, and then you continue from there up to Okar. And it's icy and difficult terrain, cold... You could easily die if not prepared from just from exposure. But if you look hard enough, you'll find the Carrion Caves. The Carrion Caves is a cave system infested with the Fearsome Apt, which is kind of a snow monster, which we'll talk about later in the in an episode about wildlife. Um, the the cave system is is infested with this this horrible snow monster that feeds upon anything that wanders by. But if you can get through the Carrion Caves, then you stumble into the land of Okar. Yellow Martians are, as their name suggests, yellow. Their skin is very yellow. It is specifically the color of lemons. So it is a deep, deep yellow. We're not talking about a tint of yellow. Just as, as far as I know, we're not talking about a tint of red when we're talking about red Martians, or a tint of green when we're talking about green Martians. We're actually talking about, like, proper, solid, albeit organic, but but we're talking about pretty solid, noticeable differences here. The somewhat exception to that rule would be the white Martians, because it is said that John Carter just kind of looks like a white Martian without any kind of treatment. So we have to assume that the white Martians are are sort of the vague white-pink of an Earth white person, Caucasian. Whereas the other colors of Martians are, as far as I can tell, meant pretty literal. Like, when you are talking about a black Martian, you're talking about an actual, like a black Martian, like the color black, um, the color red for a red Martian green skin for a green it's not green tinted it's not red tinted it's not darker skinned versus lighter skin it is it is noticeable black yellow red and green and sort of whitish the yellow martians are are notably yellow they are deep deep yellow with black great black beards and mustaches that the men traditionally wear and then as i say on the on the outside of their cities they always wear the great furs of of some some warm beast whether it's whether it's an apt or an um or an or look something to um to keep them warm from from the harsh environment now even after the carrion caves the region is still it's snowy and and forbidding 
and you'd want to bundle up, perhaps in the furs of an apt. And that's what the yellow Martians do. When they're out and about in the wilderness, in the snowy wilderness, they bundle up, and they get on okay. Uh, they've got marvelous flying machines, they have uh, hovercrafts, and the traditional flying ships that you see on Barsoom, which again, we'll, we'll talk more about all the different vehicles that you'll see on an episode about the technology. What the Yellow Martians have that really no one else on the, on Barsoom has are, are really quite nice, um, cities that are self-contained and as far as we can tell, kind of self-sustaining. You get the sense that they're basically biodomes. The Yellow Martians manage to uh, harvest as much heat and warmth from the sun as as they can, and it's it, it's it, it's within this biodome, so it it gathers and, and collects and becomes kind of a a verdant greenhouse type environment, which is where they primarily live. And the moment that you get into a biodome. Uh, you can take off the furs, walk around as usual on Barsoom, completely naked. Uh, or I should I shouldn't say completely naked. It's not really clear how naked naked is in the in the terminology of Edgar Rice Burroughs, or or for that matter, in the terminology of of the tw- early 20th century, because there are a lot of sci-fi and fantasy type books from that time that talk about nakedness but you don't really get the sense that everyone's completely naked so either way you can go without the furs on within the within the cities there are two cities of note there's Kadabra, which is the capital city of okar and there is marantina which is a, a bustling city um and and appears to be pretty pretty well off but Kadabra is the place to be. It's the capital city. It's the big, exciting one. It houses, or, or f- features, rather, the Guardian of the North. I'll, I'll talk about the Guardian of the North momentarily. But Kadabra is uh, the, the um, big city. It is full of the government centers. It's quite high-tech, and uh, it, it's well-serviced by... Uh, slaves by red martian slaves so the yellow martians like most other martians at least at the time of 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 when we encounter it as readers the yellow martians worshipped isis the false god of the black and white martians that the, the 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 relative stranglehold that this religion has on the cultures of Barsoom is already starting to wane by the third book, because in the second book, uh, spoiler alert, um, John Carter disproves uh, the, the veracity of Issus. Turned out she was just a crazy old lady. So the 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 ancient, or the, the dedication to Issus in the Yellow Martian society is starting to wane, but it's it's only beginning because when we when we meet this society, this is very fresh. Everything's just happened, and uh, the the reason that we go there is because the the heretics, the holy therns, are I didn't mean heretics, I meant fanatics. 
the um, the fanatics, the the holy therns, the the white Martians, and actually even some black Martians, because in the in the uh, fallout of of the downfall of Issus, the black and white Martians unite for for some purposes. So some of them go up to the yellow Martian to to Okar, because the holy therns, the the white Martians. Um, knew and and they said that they they know about the yellow martians have always known about the yellow martians and consider the yellow martians devout and faithful followers of their ancient cult so to the white martians the yellow martians pretty much appear to be allies and um i never got the sense that there was frequent interaction between the yellow and the white martians it it does indeed seem that the yellow martians aren't well known it seems that that the the sort of inner circle of the holy therns matai shang knows about the yellow martians but it doesn't seem like everyone knows about it now after john carter visits them and of course because he's john carter liberates them in every in every respect you you would think that the knowledge of the yellow martians would then sort of spread over the planet but for whatever reason we never as far as i know from all the books that i've read in this in the barsoom series and definitely um, the ones in the public domain which i've recently reread for for this series uh, the yellow martians do not appear again this is the, their only appearance so i'm not exactly sure why the yellow martians wouldn't become more integrated into the planetary um, politics after all of this goes down but they don't so they're a little bit isolationist is the short version of what i'm trying to say um, in fact, they call they call the the uh, the North Pole the Forbidden Land. So it it's definitely um, it's definitely something that you know there there's there aren't there's not great relations between the 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 North Pole and the rest of the planet. It's just kind of considered somewhere that you wouldn't sensibly go. And I think probably for the same reason that you wouldn't really go down to Antarctica just to hang out if if you were a normal person here. Um, you, you'd have to be sort of on the inside group of the scientists and task forces that actually do go down there, because otherwise you're just not going to have any place to stay. So unless you've got business in the North Pole post Isis's downfall, I don't see why you would go there. And certainly pre-Issus downfall, you wouldn't go there because you're not welcome. And we do see that there are red Martians in the cities of the yellow Martians, which implies that sometimes the red Martians must have wandered up there, or at least close enough up there to be, um, to be counter, countered and, and captured. Okay, so the, um, the Guardian of the North is probably relevant here. The Guardian of the North is a great 
literal pole at the North Pole. It is not a natural, as far as I know, it is not a natural structure. It is a defense mechanism. It's a great tower uh, that extends up from the capital city, Kadabra. And when you flip a switch, this pole, this tower, this Guardian of the North Tower, becomes extremely magnetic and draws any attacking force towards it at such a speed as to cause a collision. In other words, if you're going up to the north to attack a city, you're probably going up in a very large uh, battleship. And from the battleship, you're probably sending out several small one-man flyers, little attack attack ships, attack, um, I want to say attack drones, but they're not drones, but, you know, attack flyers. And if you, when you do this, they'll flip a switch on the Guardian of the North, and all those little one-man flyers get drawn irresistibly towards the tower, crash into it, and, and the pilot is, is either killed, or at least the flyer is disarmed um and and rendered useless and and maybe the the pilot if if they've survived could be captured and taken in as a slave so that's the guardian of the north and it is a formidable defense mechanism that keeps the yellow martians safe from any kind of outside attack as i said the city itself is pretty advanced it's pretty nicely um pretty nicely kitted out not only do they have the guardian of the north but they've got a pretty rich system of bureaucracy where when you go into official buildings they photograph you and the photograph is instantly duplicated across five different government divisions it's it's high tech especially for someone writing the stuff at the turn of the 20th century it was it's kind of cool to hear this after uh, here's here's a little here's a quote to to give you the sense of 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 how this all works after a wait of several minutes in an antechamber we were summoned into the private office of sorav where we were courteously greeted by this ferocious appearing black-bearded officer he asked us our name and stations in our own city, and having received replies that were evidently satisfactory to him, he put certain questions to us that Talu had foreseen and prepared us for. The interview could not have lasted over ten minutes when Sorav summoned an aide whom he instructed to record us properly, and then escort us to the quarters of the palace, which are set aside for aspirants to membership in the palace guard. The aide took us to his own office first, where he measured and weighed and photographed us simultaneously with a machine ingeniously devised for that purpose, five copies being sent uh, instantly re reproduced in five different offices of the government, two of which are located in other cities miles distant. Then he led us through the palace grounds to the main guardroom of the palace, then turning us over to the officer in charge. So that's pretty high-tech for something written at the beginning of the 20th century. I mean, that that was science fiction. Being able to photograph someone and have those instantly reproduced, not just locally, but 
in a city miles away. That's pretty cool stuff. And obviously, completely trivial now. So if you ever doubt that we truly are living in the future, just kind of remember that that in 1913 or 1915, whatever it was, that was pure sci-fi. Okay, so the... Um, the technology doesn't stop with photography. There are also fancy sort of almost magical rings that you can get a hold of. They are very rare, but they are used by spies to recognize one another without having to sort of give a secret handshake or, or a wink-wink and a nudge-nudge. These rings are inset with a gem. These gems are cut from the same mother stone, and when they are within 50 feet of one another, they kind of tingle on your finger. If you're wearing the ring, sort of you, you feel a little prick on your finger or a little, little, little vibration, possibly. And then you know that someone, at least with a ring, presumably, if, if, if we've all done our job correctly, we've safeguarded these rings with our lives, so you know that someone, an ally, is within 50 feet. And once you kind of narrow that down, then you can kind of either show each other the ring or, or whatever, and and you know that, that you're on one another's side. I don't know the name of that ring, but it's something that the Yellow Martians have access to. Since we don't hear of such a thing with any other Martian society, I do assume that it's specific to the Yellow Martians. The Yellow Martians are also uniquely set up to survive the failing of Barsoom. So part of the problem on Barsoom is that it's a dying world. Mars is a dying planet in, in the Barsoom novels. This is, it's first of all, interesting that, that this was how turn-of-the-century authors saw Mars. And, and there's some speculation on why people saw Mars as a dying world. But people already near the 20th century were thinking of Mars as a planet that had once had civilization and was now dying. And that was in, like, that was in 1913. So fascinating that, that there was this perception even then just from, from what people had observed of Mars. It's pretty astonishing. Anyway, there was this idea that Barsoom is a dying planet. And... In the first book, it is revealed that the way that there is still oxygen on Barsoom is because there were, were these, there are these, these sort of magnificent, prolifically, pr prolific green, sort of a greenhouse that, that pumps oxygen out into into the atmosphere, and this is driven by a, a great sort of air pump that if it fails, basically the whole planet dies. John Carter has to, has to rescue the planet by, by making sure that this machine doesn't fail. What is not known is the fact that the Yellow Martians have their own backup generator of sorts. They've got their own oxygen pr production going on. So if the rest of Barsoom were to fall apart, then the Yellow Martians would be fine within their little biodomes. They still have their, 
They've got their plants they're maintaining for oxygen. They, they'll be fine. Now this, again, makes them kind of uniquely set up, really, for for attack, you'd think, from enemies. I mean, people... If, if you knew that there was a society that was self-sustaining and self-contained perfectly, perfectly at peace with itself up in the north, you might want to go obtain a little bit of what they have. But because they've got the Guardian of the North, that has not happened, and I'm not even sure or clear on how well known it is that they are there. But they are quite well guarded between their their technology and the the natural barriers around their cities, uh, those being great ice shelves and mountainous forbidding mountainous terrain uh it's just it's really tough to get there it is it's tough to get there in the first place and then once you're there you 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 got nothing you've got you've got ice and you're trying to attack these cities that are that are self that that are um you know domed and and sort of contained so you'd have to break through the city but in order to even get close to them you have to be able to get around the the guardian of the north that's really all I have on the Yellow Martians. Like I say, they're only in this one book, The Warlords of Mars, and they're an interesting bunch because they are isolationists, but they do have those interesting religious ties, or at least they had those interesting religious ties to the Black and the White Martians. They've been attacked by Red Martians. They've enslaved Red Martians. By the end of Warlords of Mars, this is a spoiler... By the end of the Warlords of Mars, the third book, the power has shifted greatly. It's it's very predictable the way that it has shifted, as as is the common formula in I think John Carter definitely. More I think about it, maybe possibly just Edgar Rice Burroughs, but the the common formula would be that John Carter meets a friendly person among an otherwise enemy uh enemy society john carter overthrows the the evil government and because we only know there's one good person in the society and that was the one who john carter met earlier in the book it's that person who's appointed as the leader and sure enough by the end of by the end of the the book the one friendly face that john carter has has met his name is Talu. He is considered the Prince of Marentina, and he is appointed as the ruler of all Yellow Martians after after the the evil Salensus Ol, the Jeddak of Jeddaks, and ruler the former ruler of Okar is overthrown. Overall, I think the Yellow Martian society is actually the most interesting Martian society. I'm I'm most intrigued by it, but you only get that little glimpse of it. Is it predictable that they would be my favorite? They live in the north, so they're an ice... That They're a wintry people. I'm kind of a sucker for that sort of thing, so maybe, maybe yeah, maybe it's predictable. But I, I do, I, I find their society kind of... kind of For, for only appearing in one book, you, you get a really good picture of, of their cities and their society and their societal structure. A lot of it does 
mimic what's already on Barsoom, but I think there's just enough there to make them unique and special, and uh, I think I'd like to see more of them. I, I think if if I was going to run a game in this world or write about this world, I'd, I'd, I'd go for Yellow Martians, personally. That's everything. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next time. that's it for this week's episode. Thank you very much for listening. My name is Klaatu. You can reach me uh, via email at klaatu at member.fsf.org. You can also usually catch me in IRC as not Klaatu. I'm on the Freenode Network. Thank you very much for listening, and I'll talk to you next time.